0: The how is this movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you go to patreon.com/
1: how is this movie there you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising you will also gain instant
0: access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else once again that's patreon.com/
1: how is this movie and now for our featured presentation
0: hello everyone and welcome to how is this movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Movie. You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Movie. You can always reach out to me with questions or comments at HITMPodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen. In this episode, I'm once again joined by director Phil Juano. This time around, we're going to be discussing his 2006 film, Gridiron Gang. Now, Gridiron Gang stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson and is one of the rare football films that perfectly balances fantastic football scenes with a very compelling and heartwarming story, which I might add is based on the true story of the Camp Kilpatrick Mustangs inaugural football season. Throughout the episode, Phil takes me through the entire journey of getting this film made, including Meeting The Rock, shooting on location at the actual Camp Kilpatrick and the techniques he used to shoot some of the best football scenes of any football film I've ever seen. Let's talk to Phil. Once again, I'm pleased to welcome back Phil Juano. Phil, thanks for taking the time to join me again on How Is This Movie. Today's discussion is going to be about your 2006 film Gridiron Gang. I think one of the better football films that have been made, but we're going to get to that discussion a little later on. I guess the first question naturally is, how did you get involved with this project?
1: Well, uh, the producer Neil Moritz, came to me with the script. Neil, many of you would know his, you know, extremely popular Fast and Furious series um, that he's produced from the very beginning, and and Neil and I had been talking about making a movie together for quite a while, um, and but just nothing had ever been had ever really clicked, and he sent me a Gridiron Gang, and. You know, like you said, there have been and continue to be a lot of football movies. And I love football. I think it's incredibly cinematic. Um, I love watching it. I, you know, have this NFL Sunday ticket. I would be embarrassed to tell you how many games I I uh, watch a week or weekend. And just really, I'm a huge NFL films fan. And I, you know, so I I always dreamt of making a football movie. In fact, even when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends that were on the football team. I was not on the football team, but it was, uh, (laughs) I, um, took my super eight camera and I was on the sidelines, even back in high school shooting football footage. And then I would show it to my buddies. I'd shoot and, you know, had a little slow-mo button on the spray camera. And we, we do try to do our own little NFL films with music and all that. So I had had kind of a dream of doing a football movie for, for, many years and had seen, you know, all of them. And I'm going to date myself going all the way back to North Dallas 40. We're talking about here. I mean, I, I would, if a football movie came out, I went and saw it. So I was predisposed to like the script and I was really taken with, with it because it, I thought it was much more than just a football movie. And really, you know, it's the story of these kids and this kind of father figure that comes along and tries to save them. You know, I mean, that's really the the kind of through line of that movie and yes, it involves saving them or attempting to save them or help them or teach them comes through football. But really it's about you know a lot of kids without parents and a lot of kids who have been abandoned and kids who are on their own, and and as a side note, funnily enough, and we could we'll get to this part of the story how it all played out in post production. But funnily enough, when we showed the movie, you know who responded to it at the end of the day the most? Women. And yes, in all our testing, it scored the highest with women. And when you can get a football movie set in a prison featuring gang members <laughs> to work with, you know, for a female audience, something is going on that's deeper than you know, what you would think on the surface. And and I think that was, it was, you know, boys without moms, boys without dads, boys without family. And the Gridiron Gang became their family and Sean Porter became a father figure for them. And that's what really struck me was the heart at the center of this story. And then on top of it, it had football. So, you know, a lot of times football movies are about the football team or about the coach or about the drama of The football game or the football season even whereas or or the culture of football here these kids didn't even know how to play football and weren't particularly good at it when you know particularly when they they started out so so it really to me was about the characters and about their journey and that's really what I'm always trying to look for in my films is you know our interesting characters and I think we've talked about that you know that that character-driven narratives or would attract me uh, to stories and, and film. And so it wasn't just the football action that got me into it. And so right away when I read it, I immediately uh, called Neil back. I read it the week and he sent it to me and said, I'd, I'd love to get involved.
0: So what happens next? What happened? Well, so you tell me you want to you get know, involved. Are, are any, is anyone attached to the film at this point? No,
1: no, not. Well, there were rumors that, that Dwayne Johnson might, might be interested, but he was not attached. You know, he said, look, I'm trying to get Dwayne Johnson to do this. And I had been a fan of of Dwayne's since I actually, it was really funny. I saw Dwayne on his first appearance on Saturday Night Live. And this was even before, I think, The Scorpion King. I mean, I think this was very early on. In fact, I know it was because they had sent me the script of The Scorpion King. And I I he happened to be on Saturday Night Live. And I watched it. Um, I ended up not getting involved in Scorpion King, but, uh, for some obvious reasons and, um, but I was like, wow, this guy. And I remember saying, uh, to my then girlfriend, now wife, I said, this guy is the next Bruce Willis, this guy, he's funny, he's tough, he's charming, he he's good with the quip. You know, he's just a a very likable guy, but he's physical I think this guy's going to be a huge movie star. You know, lo and behold, cut to X years later, here we are with, I, I think, he's the highest paid movie star in the world right this minute. But he was not that then, and he was not that when we had, when we did Gridiron Gang either. I, I think he was coming off of, I want to say, Doom, something like a run of Doom, and I, and I think um, Walking Tall, I think a remake of Walking Tall. I think you know, he was still kind of in his B-movie phase, and, and I think some people would even suggest that Gridiron Gang was still in his B-movie phase um, uh, and that, that would be fine with me. Um, you know, because certainly we weren't on, you know, it wasn't a hundred million dollar movie that he makes now, um, or more. So yeah, he was rumored to be attached, but the biggest thing was there was this documentary and I was unaware of the documentary and the documentary was called Gridiron Gang. And, and, you know, that's the title of our movie. And that is in fact why, why our movie was called Gridiron Gang. There was a lot of talk about whether we should stick with Gridiron Gang as the title, because a lot of people, Gridiron, they're not as, it's funny, the word Gridiron is not as familiar a term to non you know kind of uh dedicated football fans it's you know it's not necessarily a layman's term really we talked about other titles but there was a a uh you know there was kind of a commitment that had been made that it was going to be called the same thing as as the documentary so we, that's where we landed on good Iron gang the documentary was was made at camp kilpatrick the place where we ended up shooting the film the, the actual juvenile detention center uh, where the story took place is is where the documentary was set and where our film was set and it, and it, so we were shooting in the end. I watched this documentary and then we ended up filming in the exact same rooms on the same dusty football field and you know the same kind of barracks they had for the kids um, the, that that the documentary took place. It was it was quite strange uh, to be to be kind of literally replicating you know the documentary narrative and, and the documentary was also very moving and and uh, you know told the story of these kids and sean porter and uh and and that season quite a few of the events uh that took place in the documentary or in, in at the actual uh camp or in or in the film and so then the documentary really locked me in and got me even more excited and it was a great device to show people to get them you know to see the kind of heart that the film could and hopefully have for
0: those that don't know the documentary what what time period are we talking about as far as like when when the when the, the this this uh lack for lack for a better word magical season took place like is this the yeah. early 90s
1: you no know, I, I think it was gosh you know it's been such a long time i want to say yeah i do want to say it was early 90s let's see 1993 it says okay. here So, yeah, it was 1993. Uh, Oh, is their inaugural season of 1990 is what is what they filmed. And then 1993 was when I guess, you know, it finally got released on I think it was on a local television station here. So, yeah, they tracked the 1990. It was their inaugural first season, just like in our story. It was the year that Sean Porter convinced them to use football to bring these kids together.
0: Can we talk a little bit about what Camp Kilpatrick is? for those maybe that haven't seen gridiron gang yet?
1: If a juvenile, you know, uh, 17 and under is, you know, convicted of a crime, of course, rather than sending them to, I guess you would call it adult prison or the penitentiary or uh, a county jail or wherever they might incarcerate them, they send them to these, you know, what they call juvenile detention centers or basically a jail for kids. It ranges from about, I want to say 13 year old, 13 to 17 it's all boys. And Kirkpatrick was all boys, of course. They basically can be sent in there, you know, anywhere from six months to two years or, or maybe even longer. I'm not really sure what the maximum sentencing is, but these days. But, yeah, so, you know, it's a lot of 15, 16-year-old kids who have been busted for various crimes. And, and this is, these are kids who aren't, as you hear in the, the press all the time, tried as an adult. So you're not really looking at murderers. You know, you're looking at kids that got busted for drugs or got busted for theft, or maybe robbery, or, you know, they're usually not super violent offenders, gang stuff, you know, gang related incidents, you know, things like that. But generally speaking, you know, you're, you're, you're not dealing with the harshest psychotic types, because they do get tend to get tried as adults and sent to more maximum security facilities for their age group. Um, this is, you know, meant to it's really meant to rehabilitate them. They have to go to class. They go to, you know, they take classes. That's technically a, a certified high school, which most people don't know, because you can't take a kid out of circulation and just say, Well, you're not gonna get an education, which is kind of interesting. So so you you know, they're in prison but they go to classes every day. And and because they have to continue you know, so say you go in at 14 and you go out at 16, you're supposed to have been caught up to re-enter high school as a 16 year old. Unfortunately, you know, the recidivism is, you know, 75% of these kids end up going back to jail as adults. They're, they're either dead or go back to jail. 75%. But with the group that played football for Sean Porter, it, exact, it flopped exactly to 25% of his kids went back to jail versus 75 who made it back out in the world as adults. So it was a, it wasn't, is a hugely successful program. Okay. And, and, uh, he really did an amazing thing and it spread. Other juvenile detention centers formed their own teams. They, now they have, I think they do basketball, baseball, football, but he started with football. So they, because he said, look, we're a high school. Why shouldn't we be able to play high school? So once they, got the other schools just like in the film to realize that it could be safe and that the kids weren't going to run off which they didn't they could really use sports i mean this you know again the, the the first step he took was was football to help teach respect and pride and discipline and and uh, a sense of accomplishment which a lot of these kids had never really felt
0: so going back to the the, the weekend that you read the script and then you let them know that you wanted to be on board. What happens next?
1: In Hollywood, the classic step is then you go have a meeting with the producers and they make sure you're not out of your mind and make sure that you don't want to turn it into a musical comedy. <laughs> you know, you're not you, you don't suddenly want to turn turn. Or, or, or on the flip side of bloodbath where everyone's going to, you know, pull out guns at halftime and murder each other. So you you know, they, they want to make sure you're not insane and and that you're generally insane. And listen, the script that Jeff McGuire wrote was pretty much ready to shoot. We he and I made some little tweaks, you know, added a thing here, subtracted a thing there. There were some studio notes, but I'd say 95% of that script was the script I read. Um, so it wasn't a big development process. So then you have the meeting with the producer and then you have the meeting with the studio and then you do the same thing where you prove to them that you're not insane. And I think one of the more surprising things about Hollywood that I've experienced, and I'm, and I'm sure most directors who, who join a project experience too, is that, um, for instance, I, I also direct commercials and in commercials, you go through a, a pretty serious vetting of your ideas and what you're going to do. And you have to write down these treatments and do visual presentations and, you know, do follow ups, And it's, it's, you know, it, it's kind of several weeks of kind of pitching and then they do or don't give you the job. In movies, you kind of do one hour meeting with the producer, one hour meeting with the studio. And then they decide. I know nowadays people are putting together, you know, kind of pitch packages of, of visuals and trailers and sizzle reels and all that kind of stuff. But in essence, that's usually for more effects driven work. You know, they meet you. They've made up their mind and they give you the movie. It's and then it's it's yours to lose. So if they want you, you know what I mean? If you're if you're the guy they want, it's it's not. It happens fairly quickly. Um, and it's been that way on all the movies I've joined over the years. It was the same on Gridiron Gang. It was the same on Final Analysis. You have meeting with the producer, meeting with the studio, and they say yes or no. And, and then you're together you know, for a year or two, which is kind of, kind of funny. Um, so no one really knows what they're getting into until you're much further down the road. But uh, we had a couple of meetings. Those went great. And then the key meeting was with Dwayne. So they, they convinced Dwayne to sit down with me and, and Neil, and we went and had a dinner and bonded immediately, you know, over my approach to the film, which was, yes, it, it has football in it, but it's not a football movie in that, and even though that's what everyone's always going to call it, and we can talk about that later, it's always going to be labeled a football movie. It's going to fall into the football genre. That's both, you know, a blessing and a curse, a blessing for those that love football and kind of a curse for those that aren't that interested, because then they're just not going to probably watch the film because they think it's a football movie. But really, it's a story of these kids and it's the story of this guy who who does his best to to help them and, you know, get them to see the world and and themselves in a different way. So he and I really connected on that. And, you know, Dwayne had had some, you know, history of some uh, uh, shenanigans when he was younger and he'd gotten in some trouble and he knew this world. And he knew what it was like to, to be cuffed and taken away, and he related to this story and to these kids. And then, of course, he threw football. You know, as everyone knows, Dwayne started out a very, very good football player, defensive end, and he um, almost went pro. Uh, had he not hurt his back, so he loved both sides of the story as well.
0: I'm really kind of curious about the technical aspects of of getting this film made. When he sure. comes on board, is a budget already laid out?
1: Well, that's also the crazy thing about film is that about about getting onto a film, they just and this has happened to me again on almost every movie I've ever made. You would think you would get on and then you'd bring in, let's say, a, you know, a production manager, or a line producer, and you'd work out the budget. You know based on the script, just like you'd work out the budget for a house, based on your blueprints, based on your design, based on the materials you're going to use, et cetera. But that's not kind of not the way it works. They have a number in mind that they want to spend before you even uh, break down what it might cost. So you'll go on a movie and say, we want to spend five on this. You'll go in and say, we want to spend 25. You'll go in and say, we want to spend 50. Or they'll say they just have a number that somehow fits into their overall view of, of i think you know what they want to spend that year so they say well we'll allocate this and we'll allocate that like a, and it really quite often doesn't correlate to what it costs to make the movie and, and it can be very shocking you know you'll you'll they'll say well you know we're hoping to make this you know for 20 and you're thinking this is a huge action movie um, this happened to me earlier this year on, on a spy kind of action spy thriller. And it was like a Bourne film and they wanted to make it for 20. And the lead actor was being given five. So that left 15. It was this globe trotting action spy movie with just the same kind of action as in a Bourne film that cost a hundred million dollars. And I said, so how are you going to take this script with the level of action of of the last Bourne movie and and that cost toward hundred million and make it for 15. They're like, well, that's what we want to make it for. And I just said, I, you know, in that case, it was physically impossible. And of course the film hasn't gotten made. Right. Um, but, but in this case, luckily, um, they picked 20 million. And because the film was populated with pretty much unknowns other than Twain and exhibit, um, and some really good character actors, uh, the kids were all, all first timers, you know, and a lot of them, kids that had never been in front of the camera. And the overhead on it, you know, Dwayne was not yet the massive superstar that he is now. So he didn't break the bank. And, and of course, neither did I. And so so it was actually doable at 20. So they said we want to make it for around 20. And we luckily broke it out and broke out the costs and worked worked it. And you know what? We were very close to that number. So this was one of those really pleasant surprises where the number they were hoping to make it for was a very reasonable and doable number. Um there were other complications that made the film tricky, particularly the amount of time it takes to shoot football versus the amount of time it takes to shoot, you know, dr- you know, a, a, your typical dramatic scene. Um that became complicated in the schedule and the shooting of the movie very much so, but the actual money was there to make the movie. So that was this was not a film where I had to really stretch in that regard. I felt it was a very supportive and doable thing. So that that aspect, the technical aspect of that worked out well. Whereas, I mean, I can't, countless times I've gotten scripts and I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then I found out the number they wanted, they had pulled out of a hat was absurd.
0: Was the decision to always shoot at the camp, was that always something you wanted to do? Or was there some other locations that you had scouted?
1: No, I, that's a great question because, see, it was a huge thing for the movie. Because the camp, I really wanted to do it at the camp. Because the, obviously the authenticity of it, that was so important to me. I just didn't want to make the phony Hollywood version of a juvenile detention center. And you've seen them. You've seen them in movies. You've seen them in TV. And you kind of go, uh, I don't know about that. And, and, you know, something just smacks of being phony. So I really want to go there. But it is a working detention center with, you know, a couple of hundred kids in there day and night you know, no one goes home. They're in there. And, and so it was a big deal to get the city to let us do it. Um, because we would be shooting around, you know, convicted felons and there's laws about filming them. There's laws, there's all kinds of laws protecting these kids. And, and then they had to run the place, you know what I mean? So it took quite a lot of lobbying and finally, the city council put it to a vote. It was a vote in the city council here in Los Angeles, and um, they passed it. And, it. and it really was, you know, Lee Stanley, who had produced and directed the original documentary, it was because of him that we got to shoot. It was because of him that we made the movie. I mean, he did, he, he told this story originally. And then, um, you know, Neil saw it and turned it into a script. But Lee, who was also one of our producers, of course, he, he had a great relationship with the people at can't kill Patrick. And he had a good relationship with the city who had allowed him to film originally um, there and gotten permission from all the kids, et cetera, and their families or those that, that had families to, to give permission. And, um, and so he was really the reason he lobbied heavily and he got it through and it, it was actually to the point where if we hadn't got to go into camp Kilpatrick, the movie might not have gotten made. Okay. Um, it came, it's funny the things they can get, they can, they can block a film because the expense uh, there was no other facility we could move into that was empty at the time that even resembled what we needed. And the expense to build it was beyond the budget. So it would have put us over the top budgetarily had we not had the real place. But luckily, Lee uh, made it happen and they were extremely helpful. I mean, it was tricky because every single day you had to pass through security. So every single crew member and all our equipment and everything had to go through you know, prison security and then go back out through prison security on a daily basis. You know, we were bringing, I don't know, you know, 75 people into this camp every day. And uh, so that slowed things down a little bit. That ate up about, you know, an hour or more out of my 12 hours a day. Um, but, you know, we made it work.
0: Are any of the residents of Camp Kilpatrick in the film at all? Or did you, are these all just first time actors? Tell me about the, the the casting process.
1: Yeah, we weren't allowed to um, film any of the kids in the camp. So if the, if the kids were going across the field, you'll see them in the film kind of marching in these, uh, these lines two by two, that's real. That's what they do. They, they march them from A to B and, you know, from classroom to classroom or, or, you know, to various activities, um, meals in these two by two lines. And if they were even marching across in the distance, we had to stop, wait, let them go through, even if they're in the deep background, out of focus, had to wait, couldn't even point the camera at them. So that was one of the, the agreements, uh, we had. Some of the some of the officers of the camp are in the background, and we use them as extras and, and and that kind of thing. But all the rest of the kids in the film are actors or kids who wanted to be actors. So you had um you know some kids you know like Jade Yorker who was our our lead kid as Willie. He had done some things here and there, some, you know, kind of law and order guest spots, things like that. Nothing is a lead. But then you had like David Thomas who played Kelvin, his kind of, uh, you know, his nemesis at the top of the film. Um, he had never done anything. Uh, Setu, the guy who played junior had never done anything. Uh, James Earl had never done anything. Um, you know, there were, there were uh, t- many of the kids, I'd say about like eight out of 10 of the lead kids had never done anything. I mean, on the first day, I w- I said okay guys so here we go you guys are gonna all walk up you're gonna hit this mark and da 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 and you'll stand on your spot too, and you have these little tape marks for them to hit and they all look at me and go what do you mean hit hit your marks what is that how does that work so these are kids who didn't even understand the idea of hitting their marks or what hitting a mark meant which was really great because they were authentic and they were natural I I felt and they they really it was really funny because this kind of became their inaugural season, much like it was for the kids back in 1990 learning, you know, football. These kids were learning filmmaking and learning, uh, you know, to be a pro in front of the camera and what that took. And I'll tell you, I ended up being like coach Porter a lot of the time where I had to crack the whip on these kids, <laughs> their kids, they would get, you know, there were a ton of kids in this team and they would run around and get run and go crazy and show up late or be screwing around and, you got to get every kid to get his helmet on. You got to get every kid to line up. You got to get every kid to, you know what I mean? And you're trying to get 40 of these kids to do it. And so, you know, um, uh, I ended up having to, it was good, you know, and, and they, they started calling me coach and, you know, because I would get, uh, on them. I had to, I really had to. And, and, you know, not every day, I wouldn't do it every day, but some days I'd really have to stop them all and, give him the kind of coach Porter lecture and Dwayne would be standing there cracking up, you know, because he's like, Oh my God, you're playing me, you know, but with the actors. And I said, I know it's so nuts. It really, it really was kind of real life imitating art. I guess it was real life imitated by art back to real life in, in a circle uh, from the documentary, the film, and then onto the set. But they were great guys. And um, I had a really amazing experience. It was a very, very positive, upbeat, and, and Dwayne deserves a lot of credit for that. He is just, a, and he's just like you see him. You know, the guy you see in social media, or the guy you see on TV, the guy, that's him. That's him. There isn't a dark side. There isn't a grumbly. You know, ma. You know, there isn't a. That is not phony. That is him. And he is funny, and he is gracious, and he is dedicated, and he he is a wonderful guy. Just. A ter- and, and I think this is what so many people love working with him. I think it was why the audience relates to him because it's not, he's not full of shit. He's the real deal. And, uh, he loved the story. He loved it. And he, and he really got into it and he helped me with the kids. He helped inspire them. He helped get, you know, and he'd get on them too. If he was doing a scene with them and they're screwing around, suddenly boom, you know, Dwayne would let him have it <laughs> and he'd let her have it with some of his, you know, WWF, you know, uh, uh, Trash talking and oh my god, he would take some kids down. Woo! And it was and all the kids would laugh, and the kids screwing around would go be oh, you know, he just got taken down by the rock. And um, so it was uh it was a really terrific, you know, very much a family was formed in the making of the film in the same way it was in in the actual story.
0: Let's talk about the first First set piece was really sort of sets up the world that these these kids are living in, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because most of the film is is, is shot at the camp. And then you've got, you know, the football games that are that are played. Um, But there's there's that scene that happens at the beginning of the film involving a a drive by shooting.
1: A lot of these kids have been involved in in situations like that uh, in in the real story. And so, you know, we took our hero character, you you know, um, and Willie and and put him put him in the middle of that. We shot that in, you know, in East LA and uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, that was just a, I see, I think it was just two days. And uh, from the the walk and talk to the, all the way through to the killing. Oh no, it was actually, we shot that in one day. Yeah. We shot that whole sequence in one day. It was a crazy day. You know, it really was just to, to try to, you know, set the tone that not only, you know, were these kids being sent, to essentially jail, of course, but they'd experienced loss and they'd, ex- and, and, you know, firsthand up close in, you know, right in front of their faces, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, the damage that had already been done to their psyches, to their souls before they entered, before they were incarcerated is really brutal. You know, there were kids when we were there that would get released I'm not talking about the real prisoners, and they walk them out front, and no one would come to pick them up. Either they forgot, or didn't know, or couldn't get there, or didn't care. But either way, no one came, and they would then take those kids and have to put them back in for the night, and track down a family member or child services to come get them because they're still minors. And so, you know, you're like wow, you don't even have anyone to come pick you up when you get out. You know, you've been in here for a year, six months, eight months. And that was a very common story. So, you know, these kids enter already having been uh, through hell, uh, quite a few of them, and if not all. They're put in situations where they're told to retaliate. You know, they want to be accepted in their whether it's a gang or their neighborhood or their friends, you know, but it's generally gang driven. The sequence was really meant to just demonstrate the violence on the streets where these kids came from um, and, and you know, kind of applied across the board. And so that whole sequence was was very, was very important to setting that tone up front in the film.
0: You're a huge football fan. I'm a huge football fan. I like to think that I'm very technically savvy when it comes to understanding the fundamentals of the game. I know you're technically savvy when it comes to understanding the fundamentals of the game. You never did a football film prior to this. You shot some you mentioned you had shot some eight millimeter. Do you bring on a technical advisor for this film or I mean wait, let's talk about the process because the football and again, I know we're gonna get into a little more in depth it is incredibly accurate in its in its depiction and I'm Let's just start from the beginning discussing the football aspect of the film.
1: Whenever you put together a football movie, the first thing you actually have to do is you actually have to form a football team because obviously your actors are not all going to be able to play every snap. And even if they could, you wouldn't want them to because if they got hurt, that would stop you from shooting all the other scenes. If someone broke a broke their ankle or their leg or their arm or, you know, it would, it would stop shooting everything else. So it's actually the way you have to look at it is every single snap in a football film is a stunt. Yeah. And, and that's because on any play, someone can get hurt. And that's a stunt, you know, you're doing something where someone could get a broken bone. And of course, if they're going full bore, full speed, that can happen on any play of, of, of in football. So um, we did that several guys get hurt. In fact, the guy who played our quarterback uh, for the gridiron for the Mustangs um, got hurt on the first play we shot. It was a play where he was supposed to get sacked. He got sacked so hard. He hurt his, hurt his neck. I mean, not didn't, you know, not radically, but enough so that he was out. And, and so, you know, you can't have your actual actor taking a sack. Um, And so what you do is you recruit a football team. and, And in this case, We hired a guy named Alan Graff and Alan Graff is the football consultant Alan had done on any given Sunday. He had also done Friday Night Lights. Um, He had done a a bunch of, and some other films, I think the replacements maybe. And uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure. And so he was kind of the guy, you know, the football guy. And he knows all these former players, college and pro who come down and, and whether it's a, uh, a Nike commercial that does football or whether it's a TV show, or whether it's a feature film, he has this kind of group of guys, but what they do is they have this open call and out in the Rose bowl, uh, in the off season, they had literally kind of a, uh, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, kind of a recruiting, uh, session where it was an open call. They put an ad, you know, in various newspapers and, and I think some radio. And then of course all around college campuses for guys that, that were, weren't going onto the pros and they did their kind of combine, you know, they kind of did their NFL combine, but it was a one for our film and they come down and they do the 40 and they go through all the drills and catching pen. And they have line coaches and, you know, it's just like forming a football team. You have coaches for all the different areas. They then put together a team and you really kind of leave that aspect of it, of, of who to recruit or who to draft to Alan and his team, because they know, and they know a lot of the guys already. Um, particularly, uh, kind of the skill positions, but then they kind of have to match him physically to who you've cast, you know, so he might have a great quarterback, but that quarterback doesn't match, you know, my guy, um, who, who is, is playing quarterback. So they really had to like, uh, I guess it was, yeah, yeah, it was Mo Leon was our quarterback and, you know, so they had to find a guy that matched Leon. And then they had to find a guy that would match, you know, Willie as a running back. So it was tricky because you had super talented guys, but then physically they just didn't look the same in the uniform. Um, and you can cheat to some degree, but there, there comes a point where you can tell the difference too quickly. And so um, once they formed the team, they do a camp. And it was, I think it was like a six week camp where um, they take the actors and all the uh, kind of semi-pro guys and and they rehearse every play that's in the script so they break down i think we had something like 56 plays or something like that and quite a few plays and they ran those plays again and again every day um and and so each side would know what was going to happen but then they would also have to make it look like even though they knew what was happening like you know a guy would have to go for a diving tackle and miss but not make it look like a fake diving tackle you know so they had to really try but at the same time the running back had to score you know so it was a very it's tricky because you're kind of playing full on but the play has to work but you can't see guys letting the play work you know it has to look like it organically worked to your eye but actually everyone on the field knows what's being called and everyone knows they're kind of you know it's like a giant dance number in a way um not that i don't think the players would love to hear that that analogy but it (laughs) but it is you know, everyone has to do their thing and do it right. And and you'd be amazed how wrong it looks if they don't. Your eye just right away goes fake. Right away. You just go, no, linemen weren't blocking. That guy, you know, wasn't tackling. That throw would have been intercepted. That, you know, come on, that's no way. Like your brain the whole time, you have to use your football brain. And luckily I'd watched enough that that I could go, nope. That just I don't buy it. I don't buy he made that catch. So you, it's incredibly technical, and slightly dangerous in the fact that, like I said, you can have your running. But we had a running back go down. We had a quarterback go down. We had linemen go down, and guys, you know, because you're you're playing. Remember this? What a football game lasts three hours, yep. and I think it was I, I saw a study one time that said the actual from hike to whistle is something like twelve or thirteen minutes. Yep. On average per game, these guys were playing football 12 hours all day. So when we go to shoot the football, you shoot the football all day, sunrise to sunset. So they might run, you know, they're we're running plays again and again and again and again. You might run the same play five, six times to get it right. So they put together the camp and that all gets to get that all rehearsed up. And then like a lot of some of our actors have never played football at all. Oh, my God. Danny, you should have seen some of these kids. You know, they did—they had no idea how to throw or catch, or I mean, they literally were like the kids in the documentary. They didn't know which way was which. Um, they didn't know a guard from a tackle. They didn't know, you know what I mean? They—they they didn't know what was going on. And so we had to really teach them up. And I wasn't in, involved in that, particularly with the actors, you know, to keep them motivated. Now, the thing that was really unusual about Gridiron Gang is, on say, for instance, both Friday Night Lights and on, on any given Sunday. All the football was shot second unit. So Alan took his guys, and he set up the cameras, and he was over there, and he directed the second unit and coordinated the football. And then the director in the first unit would only come in when you saw the actor's faces doing dialogue. Okay. So when you could see an actor, and even sometimes, if they were really busy shooting other aspects of the movie, they'd even let Alan do, you know, ready, set, hike, you know, or whatever with, with the actors, I committed to do gridiron gang to shoot the football. I did not commit to gridiron gang to let somebody else shoot the football. There was just no way. And that was quite a controversial decision because, um, they said, are you kidding? It's always done second unit. And I told Neil, I said, Neil, the fun of me making this movie I know I, and he said, well, you, all you talk about is the heart and the kids and the story and the, you know, the, the, you know, rejuvenate, you know, bringing these kids back. And I said, I know, but I also want to direct a football movie. And if I let Alan go out there and direct all the football and all I do is the huddle and all I do is the sidelines and all I do, because the actors, so I can see their faces. What the hell fun is that? And so he was great. Neil was great. He said, fine, if you want to direct it, you can direct it. Well, I'll admit that did not go for Alan. And I got along and Alan's great at what he does, but he's a former offensive lineman. I played for the Rams a couple of years and he's a big, big guy. He says, he always say, Phil, I'm a big man and I have big feelings. I said, I know Alan. And, and, and he was, uh, I said, I know Alan, I love you, but listen, I'm directing the football and that's all there is to it. And, and so I let him play, he, he played a ref. So he got to be in all the scenes as a ref. And uh, he he was pretty funny. He was out there in his rough outfit the whole time. And um, I shot every single day of the football myself. And I staged every single camera where I wanted it. We had five cameras going. Um, We shot over a million feet of film. Gosh, I think it was almost two-thirds of our schedule was football.
0: Was there ever a moment where you're like, maybe I should have had the second unit do the football? I mean, was there ever like just a frustrating moment? Because this has got to be – I mean, how long did you shoot how long, how long did it take to shoot all of the football? Follow that up was was there ever a moment where you got a little frustrated or you were sort of like, mm, maybe I should have let the second unit do this or were you just having a ball doing it?
1: Not once did it cross my mind that the second unit should have done it. Okay. Never. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And it, yeah, I mean there were frustrating moments where you couldn't get a play right or the sun was setting or you know, um, a ca- you know, cameraman would miss a moment. Um, I brought in two guys from NFL film so I brought in my A and B camera. I literally brought in those guys that can follow the tip of a football in focus at 120 frames per second on a long bomb into the end zone. And then the hands come up into the frame and they did it for me again and again and again. And these two guys were incredible. It was, and it was so much fun hearing their stories because of course I You know, while we're in between things, I would ask them because they're down on the field for all those games. You know, they'd done Super Bowls. They were the two best guys. And that was awesome. So two of my guys were NFL Films guys. So we were nailing the big shots. And then we had, you know, three other really good operators. So no, I wanted to do that football. I loved doing the football. I loved working with the players. I loved working with the actors as players. I loved, you know, when it worked. I loved seeing a great – I mean, I was going crazy every day. I mean, they – the kids loved it because I was a. I'm a huge freak, And You can probably tell from these podcasts. I'm a big cheerleader. I'm a big. pack. I get into it. I really. This is me in about second gear. So you can imagine me on a set <laughs> when I'm in fifth. I mean, I was revved up and loved it. And I would, you know, really get into them and and um, and really uh, uh, push them, push them to get it right. So the thing is, also there's another big reason why I didn't want it to be second unit. And it wasn't just because I wanted to have the fun of shooting it, which it was tremendous fun. It it did take, I think we had a 12 week schedule and I think, I think seven or eight weeks of it was football. So really the rest of the movie was shot in four or five weeks, which really made the other parts super, super fast. The stuff at the camp, we we were shooting five, six pages a day to make up for the amount of time it took to do the football. And that's, and includes all the sidelines and all of that. The, the big thing that i tried to do is one of the things that I didn't like in other football films, I didn't like when – several things I, that I that I didn't like. One is these guys are high school kids. This is high school football. This is not the NFL. It's not even high-end college. On top of that, my guys aren't supposed to be very good. They're not supposed to really know what to do. They're not supposed to be polished. It's not – You know, they're not supposed to be throwing it, you know, 40 yards on a rope. Like they're not Brett Favre or Peyton Manning. These guys, they're young kids who didn't even know how to play. So what I, what gets me is a lot of times you'll see these so-called high school football movies. And first of all, the players look like they're, you know, on the New York Giants, right? Right. They look like they're, you know, 300 pounds and six foot seven. I'm like, "Eh, maybe one per high school team, but because they're all semi pros, they're all former pros. They look like pros. And I really rode Allen to try to get our guys to look like high school players. And you can't imagine how hard it is to get these second unit guys because they want it to look like the pros because they want it to look crisp and efficient and big and epic. And they always are doing, they want to do hits that where they blow people up. They blow them up. You know, they flip in the air. Now I had one big one at the very end of the movie, but they want those on like every run. It's like <laughs> flip them in the air. The camera goes swirling. The guy does like what would be like, From an entire day of NFL, you'd maybe see two of those plays on a Sunday. But they want that like every second or third play in the movie on any given Sunday was particularly egregious in this area. (laughs) On any given Sunday was like a a human like a highlight reel. Right. I mean, it was ridiculous. Every play had to be. Insane, And I think that's part of Oliver's thing. Just everything has to be insane. So it's Oliver Stone. So let's make it as big as we can. And I get that. I get that's what he was doing. But that's not what I wanted to do. Now, granted, it's cinematic. It's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be pumped up and amped up. But they're kids. They're kids. They're 16, 17-year-old kids. So I had to fight hard against all the football films that had come before me of making it too big and making it too too professional and too over the top, really. I feel like a lot of football movies are over the top. Um, even ones that are, in the, that are supposed to be NFL, I'm like, eh. So what I did was, I, I studied the, these other films, and I realized that a lot of times the camera is in places in a football movie that, of course, the camera could never be in a football game. And the, that's one of the reasons I love NFL films is that they capture – I mean the most cinematic footage in my opinion ever made is NFL film. So any, any movie and anything is, is – you watch an NFL film special, right, and you're, you're just blown away, and yet they're all on the sidelines. They're all outside the game. Now, you look at a lot of football movies, the cameras inside the helmet, the cameras racing with the guys inside the game, handheld, like it's where it's in phony places. And and yeah, that can be kinetic and that can be exciting. But I wanted to adapt the style of NFL films. So if you look at Gridiron Gang, 95% of that movie, not the huddles, obviously, because NFL films can't get inside the huddle, but is from the outside of the game so I'm shooting with five cameras and and NFL films camera positions what I did was I took four or five NFL film presents and I copied every shot on a printer and then I figured out where. and then I did a diagram of where those cameras based upon the lens and the shot were on the field so I do a diagram of the field a diagram of the play and then a diagram of where the cameras were so that I could understand where those guys had instinctually gone to put their lenses to shoot that play to get the footage they got. And then I reverse engineered that back into my plays and put the cameras where I thought NFL films would put the cameras. So my style was the NFL films ethic. And, and I really only broke that um one time in the movie and that's on the punt return where uh, willie and kelvin are racing down the field and they've been at each other's throats the whole game yeah. and they're coming toward each other and i went on a steady cam and i went inside the game where kelvin turns and looks back at willie and willie looks at kelvin and they make eye contact as they're running down the field you know as kelvin folds in it's my pretty much my favorite play of the whole movie he folds in in front of him. And he goes down and he takes the, you know, the guy down and, and Willie leaps over him. And that's the only time I purposely put the camera inside the game. And I think there may have be been one more time when he nails that linebacker who'd been taunting him the whole game, um, you know, racially taunting him. He, I think I put it also – I haven't seen the movie in probably 10 years. I put the camera inside the game there. I put a close-up on Willie and his POV at the guy before he nailed him. So the two big personal moments where it wasn't football, it was about the humanity between the two guys is what I needed to capture and I needed to show the audience. That's when I went – let's call it inside the helmet. And those are the two moments I went inside the helmet. And and otherwise, I I try to maintain – a more like like as if NFL films had, had come and shot a high school game.
0: Well, I mean that's what we're talking about. I mean the there's there's I recall a punt a particular punt where or a pass and it's so easy for a typical film to, to show the ball in the air cut to a player show the ball in the air cut to the player, but what we're seeing is these long, long uninterrupted shots of the balls going through the air and that is something that you just I mean you just don't really see and it makes the film. It, to me, what I found was there was never a moment where I didn't realize or understand what was happening in the game. And I think you made it very, I don't want to use the term cinematic, but NFL films is the best way to sort of look at that. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, there, there, there were scenes that I think would have been easy to just quickly cut and edit and go to this, go to this. But these sort of these long takes, and I was just... I was just blown away. That's just me saying that. I'm just like, I was just blown away by some.
1: Well, thank you, Danny. You noticed exactly why I'm super appreciative because you got exactly my intent. And you're so right. Most footballs, I mean, particularly, and I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. And I like Friday Night Lights. But wow. Is it- yep. I mean, he's crossing the line. Guys are going right to left. And they're going, I mean. They're going right, they're running right, left, and suddenly they're running left to right, and suddenly they're going the other way. You don't even know which direction they're running because of the kinetic. He wanted kinetic energy. I get it. He wanted the mayhem of the game. I get it. I wanted the balletic order of the game. What, what to me NFL Films does is, is it it allows you to get inside. It happens so fast in real time, right? I mean, it just happens. You're like, whoa. Any play, any any level, any football it happens so freaking fast i even with my tivo go back and rewatch plays in that they've done in slow mode so i can watch each player do something i'm interested in what they were doing because you got to watch 11 guys on you know so i was really really wanted to get the structure of how it evolves from a to b to c rather than the chaotic mayhem of it which i feel like you can watch any day on any any given sunday um i wanted to give you the wait watch how this leads and that's what i love about nfl films i could have watched a game as closely as i humanly can watch it when i watch the nfl films breakdown of it a week later i'm like oh my god i had no idea that was happening and i like to think i'm a pretty good football viewer but nope not when they break it down the way they do it you know so i wanted that in a sports movie And I'll tell you one thing that most people don't realize about Gridiron Gang, and I don't think anyone that I've noticed or known has ever written about it or mentioned it. And in fact, it's my proudest thing about the football. There is no announcer telling you what's happening. Now, go back through every football movie you've ever seen. They all, all of them, including Remember the Titans, even though it's high school, has an announcer. Well, it's fourth and one. It looks like it's going to be tough for the Titans on this play. Yep, it could be tough. This could be the whole season comes down to this. And here they go. And they hike. There is not an announcer in my movie. (laughs) Everything you figure out about the play, about the importance of the play, down, distance, score, everything comes from what's happening on the field, from what the kids say, or from what Sean Porter or Dwayne says, or what someone might mumble in the stands, or what, or what, and this, and just you got it, or going to the fourth down marker and having the kids and say, "This is it, man. This is it. We got to make that yard. Come on, Willie. You got to make it. This is it. We're down." Like them talking, it's human beings in the game telling you the structure of the game and how it's about to play out. No announcer, and I don't know, and I'm sure someone out there knows that there's been one, but I could not find a major studio football film. That did not have an announcer dictating to you what was happening, but we didn't do it.
0: You know, I've seen the film three times, and there, literally, that moment when you said that, and I just threw my hands up. For those who are just listening, yeah, I threw my hands up because uh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like I'm looking. I mean, I just watched it yesterday. I'm like, no, there is no announcer. You're absolutely. Right. So let me ask you this: Does that decision that come a- lightly to to, to do no. that?
1: Oh no! And there were people. They were saying. The producers and the studio are like, how can you not have an announcer? The announcer tells the audience. The audience isn't going to understand, Bill. Like, okay, we'll take it to a preview. And if they're confused by what's happening in football, we're going to put in an announcer. And I said, that's fine. I said, I totally agree. I'm not going to have it be confusing. I said, but I I had structured. So what I did is I went with Jeff McGuire and we sat down one day and said, okay, we're only going to work on football today. And we have to make sure there's a line of dialogue that somebody says for people who don't understand football, I said, not for people who get football, but it can't just be third down. And we see the ball is two yards off the marker. We, we we can't, we can't do that because that's where people watch football. I said, I want grandma who doesn't watch football to go, Oh, I see those boys need to get that ball past that thing, or they don't get to keep the ball. And I said, I'm serious. I want, someone who only watches soccer in a foreign country to understand, Oh, I get it. They need to get that ball into that giant square at the end and get some points. And we went through and we blocked out little tidbits of dialogue, little hints, little things, even if it was, we have to make this play or if they stop us, you know, didn't you always have to be down in distance. It just had to be understanding. Uh, and I broke it down, literally Dana into a play it's good for the Mustangs or it's bad for the Mustangs. So if you're watching and don't know football, you go, Ooh, that was clearly bad for them. Oh, that was good for them. That was good for them. Oh, they need this. They need this. Oh, they didn't get this. That's all you had to know. And we took it out and everyone was watching to see if it would work. And no one was confused. No one. And I've had people say to me, I saw that movie, I don't like football, I don't understand football, I don't even know what the big deal is football, and I loved it, I was cheering, I was this, I was that. And I and I really believe it's because I allowed them to use their own minds, their own brains, to figure out what's happening and get engaged and invested in what was happening with the characters instead of some faceless, I mean, there would never, you and I both know, be a radio announcer, a play by play announcer at this kind of high school football game. Frankly, no high school football game in my you know, I grew up here in Southern California ever had a play but you had the guy that went, first down, da da da. We didn't even do that. We did not have that. And 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 we didn't have the guy going, you know, first down Mustangs that you get at a college game or whatever. But all these movies somehow cheat into them that it's such an important game. There's a radio announcer. Well, there wouldn't have been a radio, a play-by-play announcer at the first Mustang Mustang loss. There'd be no. There was no one in the stands. There were like seven people in the stands. How come there's going to be a play-by-play? It was such bullshit. In thought that there would have been a quote announcer telling you, "Well, the Mustangs have got it. Uh, they're really behind this time." Ralph, yes, I agree. Yeah, Bill, (laughs) it's really looking bad for the Mustangs today. Like, and it's always two guys, right? Because they got to chit chat with each other. So anyway, we, uh, you know, what longest yard does it? They all, all of them do it. All of them, even the high school ones.
0: But anyway, let's not forget. Let's not forget. uh, Oliver Stone does it himself in any given Sunday.
1: (laughs) And there you have it, (laughs) Uh, Oliver. So. It was, a. it was, it really was great. And they completely backed off because they literally, one of the questions that they put on the cards, you know, at the end of these previews are, you know, were you ever confused by the football? You know, did, were you able to follow? They hammered it with these questions and the answers everyone followed. So that was actually uh, uh, a, and uh, no one has, uh, and I'm so nice about it. The reason I'm, I, I think that, that I know it worked. No one ever noticed.
0: Yeah. That's yeah.
1: And because, yeah. And because it, because it, you know, people are like, I'm sorry, I was just confused. I wish someone you got There was no announcer. I didn't know what, the, what was going on in the next play. I didn't know why it mattered. You know, and when you watch these films, and I studied them all, I really studied them, uh, they, use, they fall back on the announcer for the drama and to let you know that what's about to happen, it's, it's for all the marbles now. You know, like that's what announcers are for. But when you take that out of a game – I mean, imagine watching an NFL. I mean, they did it one time. They actually did air an NFL game one time without announcers on network TV just to see, you know, and people didn't like it. But, but, I mean, you're just sitting there. If you're not paying close, close, close attention and you don't know the game, you're going to be confused, particularly because we don't show every play, right? We're jumping forward in time. All those scoreboard shots, all those shots of the clock, all those first down markers, and a lot of it was up to The Rock, on the sidelines, be like, "Okay, guys, we need three yards, three yards. You have got to get it." He so I did a whole day of just sidelines with Wayne, just just and the kids, you know, excited. Like, and the whole day was, I told him, "said you're essentially my announcer," but as a coach, it would make sense. You're shouting to the guys what they need to do. You're shouting, "We need to hold them. We need to stop them on this play." That's what coaches do. Where you tell the guy in the sidelines, all you need to do is get five yards. You know that all those little beats were the beats Jeff and I put in to act as announcers, but no announcers. And, and so anyway, no, that was my little that was my little trick.
0: And nobody noticed. You're right. I I'm, again, I'll admit, I, I didn't notice. And
1: nobody, not a single critic pointed out that that we had done it without announcers. It was kind of funny.
0: The movie's two hours and five minutes long. the the The, mm-hmm. the, the cut of the film that I watched was two hours and five minutes long. You mentioned that you shot a a, a million feet of film on with the football
1: it's the football yeah the
0: season is is condensed you know there's there's a line where it says that you know they they've won seven eight or eight or eight in a row how, did you, how much how much did you have to cut out of the film like how much football was cut out of, i mean what was your the first cut came in how long did like to give me that the whole idea yeah, you
1: know? well the first cut the first cut uh the editor joel ne- uh, joel negron is fantastic and he cut a very tight first cut and uh um i think we're like you know Two fifteen, in our first cut. So we got like ten minutes out. There was a whole subplot, and really the biggest lift of the movie—that there was a whole subplot that was lost, where there was a female teacher there that that was trying to, you know, uh, trying to teach the kids English and trying to get them. And they're all goofing around or whatever, and she, you know, um, had a little kind of minor love interest with Dwayne, and it was the, it was the, you know, frankly the studio made me put it in, uh, so that there was a female aspect of the movie, and it was not in the documentary, and a love interest for The Rock that was kind of a mild, someone he could talk to in between the games and stuff like that. And uh, I just didn't think that it was going to work, because I just thought that's a different movie. You know, that's just either you commit to that, and you make the movie that's also a love story, you know, or you don't. You can't have five scenes of that and they expect, oh, good, now everyone's hooked into it. Now women will like this movie. Oh, I know. If we put a female teacher, which there were none there, you put in the female teacher uh, in amongst these boys, and she was like this pretty female teacher, right? And then The Rock is like, you know, in the hallways going, so what did you think of our game? She's like, oh my gosh, you guys did so good. I'll be there this weekend. See you there. I was like, what? <laughs> this is just like, no. But I was, it was the one studio note, and we put it in. And and it occupied about 10 minutes of the film. And uh, I knew the film was too long before I even showed it to the studio. I took it out. And I, Jeff, it was, uh, let's just say it was not it was written in such a way that taking it out was not difficult. And we took it out. And it didn't affect any because he was a, just a compartmentalized thing that was it was literally an add on. And and took it out. And that got us down to around 205. And the studio never even asked to see a cut with that character in it. Okay. because they right away realized. So that got us down. And then football wise, I think I only took out, I want to say three plays. Only three plays didn't make it. We had it was pretty tight. We really every play, you know, certainly each play could have been, been could have been longer, you know, I mean, we had tons of footage to extend it and slow mow it and, you know, and I shot at all different frame rates and shutters, you know, angles and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, we could have, you know, we, we tightened and tightened and tightened the football, no question, um, as, as the cut progressed, but really the biggest lift was that subplot with the teacher. And then, uh, I think like three plays went and, and, you know, tightening up, there was that montage in the middle, um, that we tightened up and, um, that was pretty much it. It was a really clean. There were no reshoots. There's not a single shot done in post production, which is really kind of unheard of in today's. It, it just went together, and we 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 went together, and we took it out around. Gosh, I have to say honestly, I think after our first preview, we maybe cut one more minute, and that's the cut you saw. Um, and Joel just did a fantastic job, and and it was tight, and um, we showed it uh and and it scored you know you you know they do these scores you know at these test screenings you know you want to be if you're 80 and above 75 above 80 above 80 above you're really 80% like the movie and we scored a 94 in our first screening and like i said earlier in this conversation the the craziest thing was that women scored at the highest and that really surprised the studio which I, I think is one of the reasons they never asked to put the teacher back in
0: okay so you know and we we mentioned uh, last time we were on we were talking about that that the previews and and the and, yeah. and and how the scorecard works, there's there's <clears> the <throat> the top and the bottom of the card. You want to be on the top part of the card there.
1: Yeah, they call it top two boxes. It's excellent, very good, good, fair, poor. And You want to be an excellent, very good. Now I've all, I've always said, and I know it's I know it's a research thing, but I've always kind of cracked up at the thought, how many times do you leave a movie and say, Wow, that was excellent? I mean, really, once a year, twice a year? I mean, excellent. Excellent to me is like The Godfather is excellent. You know what I mean? You know, One from the Cuckoo's Nest is excellent. Um, But So to expect people to call your rough cut of your movie unmixed, unfinished, da-da-da, excellent? I'm like, wow, that's a tall order. Even very good. Like leaving a movie and going, that was very good. As opposed to, you know, we leave most movies, we say, that was good. What'd you think, honey? It was good. It was good. I liked it. It was good. That gets you nowhere. That third box, good. That's a failure. So by achieving good, it ain't good enough.
0: Let me ask you a question. I don't want to go too far off subject here, but, yeah. but it is amazing. What do you think the mindset is of people that go to these preview screenings? It's kind of like, do they, in their mind, are they, I'm now a critic. I'm now making oh. the tough decisions. I'm now, I mean, because I here, here I am, I'm a passionate movie lover. I've never been to one of these screenings. I've never been invited to one. You know, and I feel like I could do a. I, You don't want me at a screening because I am far more forgiving, you know, to the to the to the filmmaker side of things, because I understand that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people involved in making a picture. So what goes through the minds of in your estimation? What goes through the minds of the people that go to these previews? And do they still happen to this day?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, they're probably happening this weekend all all over the place, uh, particularly in Southern California. Um, Every weekend, there's someone previewing something uh, around around year round here. I'd say half the audience is thinking, "Wow, this is awesome! Free movie." Okay, so half of them couldn't kind of care less. They're like, "I don't even know if half of them." W-. Here's the thing: I always say is, "Would these people really even come to see this movie if they had to pay?" And that's a big deal, di- right? If you're going to shell out thirty bucks, I mean, I think the ArcLight here is sixteen bucks a pop. You're shell out thirty-two bucks for two people versus free you know, your commitment to the movie is much different. So I'd say half the audience is just happy to be at a free movie, free popcorn, watch it. And you can tell because I read every card after it's over, they have to handwrite in these cards. They, by the way, they check them and by the way they write the notes, they're like, no, no, none, nothing, fine, not, didn't care, blah, blah. And you can just tell they're like, I'm here for a free movie. And that's about half. And and so they're, it's pretty tough to take their response all that seriously because you can tell they're just kind of like, yeah, whatever it was a night out which is fine i mean it's just it's not like they, they're obligated to give a damn right i mean you you think they should because you you directed the darn thing but not because you know there's no moral or ethic thing that says they should and then i think that um the other half are siskel and ebert the other half are like oh my god i'm rolling up my sleeves oh well that didn't make sense oh no don't like that in character oh that's just terrible oh that. too much cursing in this movie and, and it just goes on and on and on and then you get their cards and And I swear to God, you think Pauline Kael filled it out. You're like, just like, are you kidding me? In the third act, I felt that the the surprise twist of the third act was not set up properly. In the first act, you're like, God, they've all read Bob McKee's books. You know what I mean? It's like really funny. So they're very, very suspect. But I will say, and I hate to admit this, but in general, in my experience, the scores you get, because you usually do like three of them. They usually, you know, because they are want to try to average it out. And they take them to different communities and different, you know, breakdowns of all these different, you know, marketing things. And they, So anyway, the overall score, if you take your three scores and, and you figure out the average, that's kind of the response to your movie. It's, it's horrifying, but it's true. And, and in general. You're like, you just, if there's something about it. They've worked it out over 50 years, however long they've been doing those cards, to where it's not that far off. And, you know, yes, I, you know, we all read about surprises. You know, we're like, oh, it tested so poorly and then it was a hit. That's kind of, that's not very often. That's an anomaly. The truth is, for the general public, do you know what I mean? Like, if you take, you know, there will be blood and you show it to the general public, I don't think it's probably going to score very well. No. You and I know it's a masterpiece, no. No. right? So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you make an audience-driven movie, when you make a movie that is meant to be for a general audience, because not all movies, and in fact, not all great movies, are even remotely meant to be for general audience. But let's just say you make a general audience movie, like Gridiron Gang was meant to be, it, um, it, it, it tends to follow what you get. And here was the disappointing irony of that, Great Iron gang did not follow uh the cards did not follow the test results cuz all of our test results were in the 90s and when you score in the 90s the way it's supposed to go is you have a hit movie it's a hit that's just you score in the 90s it means it means all ages liked it it means you know 25 and below liked it 25 and above liked it it means men and women liked it and that's what happened and it, our screenings were Incredibly successful. I can't stand those screenings, and I actually enjoyed. It. I mean, they're cheering the movie, they're cheering the kids, they're crying when Willie's crying to Dwayne, and the, they're into it. And women, I couldn't believe it women crying. They didn't see it as a football movie, they saw it as a movie about kids. So here we are, and the movie's done in the end of 2005. We've tested it, it's gone well. And we originally were going to release it on Martin Luther King Weekend early early the following year. And that had been a really good weekend for other sports movies. And um, you know, it's a three-day weekend, and you know, football, football is kind of coming to an end. And so it was really gonna be good. And it was after football and they decided to hold on to the movie. And I to this day, I could not understand the logic of it until Oh, I don't know, whatever it was. It was like uh, September, of the September October of the following year. It was right when the NFL had started because they wanted to put it. Oh, I know. I remember the logic now. They wanted to put it uh, and advertise it on the NFL and on college football. And I said, well, here's the thing. First of all, Friday night, every high school kid that loves football is going to a football game. Exactly. Saturday, every college kid that loves football is going or watching college game. And Sunday, anyone who loves football is in all day and particularly Sunday night because that's always the best game. So I'm like, you've now taken away our fan base is occupied by the real thing. What I understand you'll get more football eyes when you put ads on those games in the weeks prior. But when the time comes, supply and demand, right? There's not going to be that much demand for a football movie when they're all saturated by the real games or televised games. No, 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 this is how we did. They'll come in nah, and, nah, nah. look, we scored in the '90s. it's going to be great." And I said, "Well, and then there's also this other movie, you know, the uh, Invincible," is coming out in August. And they go, "Yeah, well, you know, we we'll be far enough away from them and da da and we don't think that's going to be a hit." and da." And I said, "Well, but that's seems you know, there's going to be a football movie. Eight weeks at least prior to us, seven, eight weeks prior to us. And then and they're they're going before football season starts, and then football season is only on, and then we're on. And I fought, and I was the lone voice fighting against that release. I said, Martin Luther King, football's over. It's it's like there'll be people still into it because we've just come off of it, and yet there's no football that week. I just said, Come on, there's this is the way to go. You guys were right the first time. But they held the movie, and sure enough, Invincible ended up being a hit. And I knew when we came out on the marquee in my local theater, my multiplex, Invincible and Gridiron Gang side by side on the marquee, two football movies in the theater at the same time. That the, the audience, their thirst for a good football movie, had had been filled by Invincible, which was a fun audience-driven film, and uh, you know, and, and everyone loved Wahlberg in it and all that. And NFL started. And we opened, I mean, we had a $15 million opening, which, you know, you look at, it's tough to get a $15 million opening, but it faded. You know, so we did open number one, and and it was $15 million and, and over the years, I've noticed a lot of films struggle to get the $15 million. So it's not like that was an embarrassment, but it didn't have legs when it should have at those numbers. At 90, word of mouth and thing, but guess what? Here we were. In the middle of the NFL, in the middle of football season, and then lastly, what really hurt the movie too was in marketing, and it was very, very tough because when you when you summarize the movie, it's a football movie set in a prison about gang members. You just couldn't get women in the theater. Yet when they saw it, they loved it. They loved it, but you could not get them to go. And we all know if you're going on date night. And your girlfriend or your wife says, oh, I don't want to see a football movie in a prison about gang members. It's over. It's over. But like you're on going. You're going to get, you know, and, and and we just got. So we did OK. I mean, we did around 30 something, but not not as good as we should have. And that was one of the really uh, rare cases in my experience where the numbers did not match the outcome. This is still, this
0: is the 2006 when you released it. This is still yeah. pre-streaming VODs and it's infant yeah. stages. How did the film do home video? Blockbuster was still a major player back then. I mean, did, did it have legs once it got to home it, video?
1: It did really well. It was a really, you know, because again, it's one of those things like, oh, I'll give it a try. And the same thing when it hit, uh, um, you know, HBO and all that, like people, it's still, they run it, you know, even on FX and, you know, the, the, the commercial uh, uh now they run it
0: it was on 3 days ago
1: there you go cuz it's an audience pleaser that's what's funny about it is that over time it's as yes, it slowly but surely reaches people and a lot of people even now go hey i finally caught that movie gridiron gang of yours that was and they always say that was pretty good because it's surprising to them because they unfortunately sports movies get written off they just do and and you know yeah every once in a while there will be a rocky the original i mean you know that'll that'll cut through you know that was nominated for best picture one best picture and i and i think that you know it you'll yes every once in a while a sports movie will transcend the genre but it's very very tough to break out of the genre uh any sports movie well that
0: brings me to an interesting question for you speaking about football movies sports movies transcending you mentioned North Dallas 40, that's the Nick Nolte film if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. I mean that's a sure, little try. bit not a little bit before my generation. Yeah,
1: I was I was a, I was a young teenager. I was a young sure. teenager. Go ahead. <laughs> can,
0: can we talk a little bit about some of your favorite football films that that uh you know, ones that come to your come to mind right away as far as let me say this. I am a huge fan of obviously Gridiron Gang. That's one of my was for, for the football and that is outstanding. I find any given Sunday to be the football seems to be a little too kinetic, like we've talked about. Um, I like
1: it's just over the top. You know, it it looks like wrestling. It's like it's like I don't know what's going on in that game.
0: And the fact of the matter is that he couldn't get the NFL license, just took me out of it. And I, I mean, just took me out of it.
1: Me too. Those uniforms. I mean, listen, I don't know who did them, and I don't mean to be critical, but yikes! If you're a football fan, that was it was kind of just me too. Those uniforms and the whole it was just it was ridiculous. And then how funny is it? Along comes Ballers, and they just say, "We don't care. We're going to do it anyway. Sue us." <laughs> and the NFL goes, "Uh, okay," and doesn't do anything. So funny.
0: You know, now that we're talking about it, what are the good football movies? Besides putting Grid, putting Iron excuse me, putting Gridiron Gang aside. What are the good football movies? What are the good What are the good football movies that, that sort of get the uh, the football action correct? Because now all of a sudden, my mind is flooded with films like Varsity Blues, Necessary Roughness, uh, the program which I will debate endlessly with my friends that I don't think is a very good football movie, but that's just me. And I don't want to get all super negative. Um, I always cry at the end of Rudy, but that's not really a football movie. That's got about four minutes of football in it. Uh, your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, the one that I think the one that you fall back to the quickest and most easily is remember the Titans. Absolutely. um, Is is the one that that always kinds of tops, kind of tops every list. And frankly, after that, I think it's debatable. I really do. I I, I mean, I think Friday Night Lights had some great, intense football action. um, And I think it is about football and the pressure of particularly Texas football. Um, clearly, it, it lends itself to a TV series even, I think, better than it did a film. But, but I, I, I found, um, to me, I like action sequences in movies. And I think football is nothing but a long, extended action sequence, right? With, with, with 22 guys going at it. It could be a scene from 300, 22 warriors going at it. It could be a scene from, it can, it's an action sequence, right? And something someone's trying to achieve something. And the other side is trying to stop them. That's basically a reaction sequence. You, whether it's a chase scene or not, someone's trying to get away and someone's trying to catch them. There you have it. A fight scene. Same thing. I like filmmakers who design action sequences. So I know where I am. I understand the geography. I understand who's trying to get to who I understand who's trying to stop who I understand if they get on that ledge, that's good. I understand if they jump off the ledge, it's bad. I understand. So that way, as every beat is playing out, I'm engaged as opposed to just being overwhelmed by sight and sound.
0: That's the key. Yep.
1: Now, unfortunately, filmmaking today has kind of gone to the Michael Bay school of overwhelm with sight and sound. So I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I understand that's the bad guy and I understand that's the good guy. But after that, I don't know where they're standing. I don't understand who they're crushing. I don't understand What's falling? I don't understand. I just see it. I see the stuff falling. I see them crushed. But I don't know what's good or bad or what. I mean, you know, I assume when a giant robot smashes through a building, it's not so hot for the people inside. But that's, I guess, not important. And I think that that. You, but again, and so front likes lights to me. And, and Pete likes the style. I mean, Pete likes the style of action that's extremely kinetic and extremely all over the map to where you're confused, kind of like the people are. And I think that kind of works in movies like The Kingdom. Like that was kind of like – like in shootouts, that can be kind of interesting. you know. But I prefer like what Michael Mann did in Heat. When those guys come out of that bank, I know where I am. I know where the cops are. I know they're the side of the street. I know where the guys are – right? In that sequence, which is incredible, you know – it's kinetic, right? It's in your face, the sound. But you know where you are. You know where they're in the car. You know who's trying to stop them. And that's why you're so engaged because you totally get it. Watch any Spielberg action sequence. Watch any Jim Cameron action sequence. You will know right. You can be in a jungle. It doesn't matter. You will know right where you are. You will know the vine they need to the Navi needs to leap to to swing across the thing. And that's not even my thing, a giant CG world. But it doesn't matter. He puts you. Bob Zemeckis, another one. He he'll put you. You know, you watch that that plane crash in flight, you know, the entire plane crash takes place inside the plane. Yeah. Okay. Watch that. It never cuts outside the plane. It's incredible. And, and so those filmmakers and, and I feel like football a lot of time is just a giant mess. It's just like a salad, like a shot salad. Like they just take the shots chop them up, throw them in the air, shake and swirl and bada bing, bada boom. Someone scores a touchdown. I, that is not my thing. It's just not my thing. So when I look across these movies, like I'm, I'm looking at a, a list now that I popped up, you know, look, here's the thing. I put up top 10, I think gridiron gang is 15 or 16 here on, on, on Google when you pop it up, you know, and, and ahead of it, you've got uh and uh, you've got all the right moves, little giants. The longest, Yard. the longest yard. The original longest yard is a very fun football movie. It yeah. really is. And granted, it has it has comedy aspects, like clotheslining the guy and you know drilling the ball into you know into his ball. But it it it's a really fun. I don't know. And I haven't watched the old one in, in a while. But I don't have a lot of favorites, to be honest with you. And that and I love football, but I don't you know have. You know, here they have them listed up. It's Rudy. It's Titans. Rudy. Friday Night Lights. Brian Song. That was a great emotional football movie. I don't recall the football itself. Right. Blindside. I, I actually never saw. Invincible. Uh, Given Sunday. Replacements. Waterboy. The Program. Varsity Blues. We Are Marshall. North Dallas Forty. There they are. And then you get into things like Jerry Maguire, which really isn't a football movie. Or you know, you get you get down. Um, so it's a uh, you know. I think it's a real mixed bag of uh, of films. It's, it's, I don't think the genre get, and for that reason, I don't think the genre gets much respect.
0: All right, now before we go, it is the middle of the preseason here in the in the ah. United States. Middle, I, I just want to get some yes, on, on the record prediction oh, yeah. on the record predictions for the twenty seventeen NFL season. <clears throat> I, now, I. Say this while wearing my Patriots t-shirt. So uh, yes. I, 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 well,
1: I'm not going to be upset with my predictions. I, I um, am going to it's not going to be very interesting or different from what you've already read and a million times over. But I do think you got to favor the Patriots to, to win it all. Uh, it's very, very tough to do back to back Super Bowls. Very, very tough to do. But I think they're psychologically a very tough team because their leader, because Belichick is psychologically incredibly tough. And, um, I mean, and I think that barring injury, you know, as you can say about any team barring significant injury, but look, they won without Gronkowski last year. I mean, what if they have Gronkowski the whole year?
0: Oh, that'd be nice. That'd be, okay.
1: That would be nice to watch. And, and so I, I got to go them. I do think that it'll be very, very interesting to see three other teams for me. I'm watching three other teams with a fourth on the bubble. The other teams are obviously the green Bay Packers are always going to be in it because they have Aaron Rodgers. Is their defense improved? We don't know. We just don't know because he can't you know, put up 40 points a game you know, every time. And that – you can't win the Super Bowl without defense. Everyone knows that. And then um, the other team, um, I think that Seattle could be interesting this year. Um, I think, again, they, they just had a big injury on their offensive line. I think their, their left tackle just went out uh, with an ACL this last week. So I, but I do think if they can get their offensive line problems and if their defense stays healthy uh, like it wasn't at the end of last year, um, I think that Seattle could be in the game again. I think, you know, even without Ezekiel Elliott for six games, assuming he's not able to, to deal with that in, in arbitration, which I don't feel he'll lose because the, <laughs> the commissioner can do whatever he wants. I think the Cowboys are going to be in it. I think they came very close last year. What, they lost by three to Green no, Bay yeah. or something? Like yeah. that? three that? People forget it was a very close game. I think that the Cowboys are going to be in it, so I think the fun teams are going to be watched. That the the, th- the three are going to be the Cowboys, the Patriots, and um and Green Bay, and then I think the bubble team that is that that I think because again we don't really know how far they could have gone. Keep an eye on Oakland.
0: Yep, that's what, yep.
1: Keep an eye on Oakland. That Car guy is good. They're up and coming. Um, I don't know. He he broke his leg, I and mean, we'll never know what would have happened last year if he was healthy. And this year they'll be even more experienced. So those are the four teams. I'll keep my eye on, but I got – if I had to bet, I'm sorry. It's not even, I know it's a safe bet, but it's an obvious bet. It's the Patriots year again. They're just – they're built to win.
0: I'm, I'm not going to debate you one iota on that. I agree with you 100%. I, I, will, I will add that I think Atlanta either does – I think it's well now think about this though, because they could suffer the Super Bowl hangover that the Carolina Panthers went through last season.
1: Exactly. This is why I didn't put Atlanta in. They'll have a great team. I, I like I like old Matty Ice. I like that organization. I thought they were really fun to watch on hard knocks, you know, and I and I liked the guys there. But history tells you they'll struggle. Now, that doesn't mean that they will. But I remember they weren't there. It wasn't like the year before they were that team, so they could easily slide back to the team they were. You know, a one a one and done playoff team. They re- but we'll see, we'll see. I like yeah. that team and I, I like him a lot. And and I'm you know um, that was an inc- just incredible Super Bowl. But I mean, and for, by all they should have been Super Bowl champions. Right. They should have been. If there's that comeback, is the most insane. I still have the game on my TiVo because I still have to watch the fourth quarter. I'm just yeah. like, how did that happen? Um, and I have the NFL film breakdown show, too, still on my devo from last year because I'm like, or I guess it was this year. I'm like, how could that happen? I, my eyes I still can't believe it. But I don't know. I didn't put Atlanta in there because I just think it's always hard for that team that comes so close, generally speaking.
0: yeah. I mean, you know, Carolina like, is a perfect example.
1: Perfect example. Yeah, well, they – but I kind of feel like by halftime they had already had suffered the Super Bowl curse in that game. I just felt like they came out in the second half and looked defeated. But uh, anyway, it um yeah, I would love to have Atlanta back in it too because I mean the more the thing that, that that I hope is I always hope there's a lot of good teams. Yep. What I want okay. is all the teams to be good, but unfortunately, it's like you, it's a it's a quarterback's game, and without you know it's so many teams are lacking that guy, it's really tough. It's Should, really
0: tough. It definitely is going to be an exciting year. Uh, Phil, if people want to learn a little bit more about you, you've got a website. You want to give them the web address? I do.
1: Yeah, it's a. Uh, PhilJoanoDirector.com, and you can find all the trailers for my movies, all my, not all, but a bunch of my commercials, uh, some documentaries I made, Age 7 and Age 14 in America are both there, and in fact, the full-length version of my movie nobody has and nobody can find, Entropy is on there too, so... uh, Anyway, um, it's yeah. There's a there's a bunch of different stuff if you want to check that out.
0: All right, as always, thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and, and look forward to having you back really soon.
1: Oh, thanks, Dana. I love it too. You're the best. It's really fun chatting. I can do it for hours. In fact, we've done it for a couple already. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Most young people, they make a bad choice, they have their car keys taken away, or get grounded. Then there are the ones that make a bad choice. Ah, They get sent here. You'll be here until the court decides what to do with you. Do you understand? I said, don't rush me. According to the teaching staff, the inmates here have trouble responding to authority, being a member of a team, and accepting criticism. Now, what one activity can improve them in all these areas? So, you want to start a football team? Exactly. Your neck is way, way out on this. Everybody listen up. The gridiron is a football field. On the gridiron, we do it my way, not your way. Your way got you here. Damn 88. Whatever gang you claim, whatever hood you're from, this is your hood now. Hustle, touch that line and get back. I wanna be a Mustang coach. I wanna show people I can play. It's harder than a loser. Who these helmets?
1: Maybe when I get out, mom, we can live together again. Football is great.
0: Dig in there. I'm good at it now. What the hell is this? A nose
1: guard. My kids have been in this program for three years. You have four weeks to prepare your team. Do you really want to go up against those kind of odds? No problem.
0: We wanted to create self-esteem, but it was just the opposite. They can't handle that kind of disappointment. Now it's time to see who has the heart. Now is the time to prove to yourselves and prove to everyone out there that even though you're locked up,
1: you are somebody. Get on my fly,
0: hotter than hot slide. I'm an open entertainer on the hotline. I don't want to see no movie because it's not right. And I never politic when I be your school.
1: Now lose no more. All
0: we gotta do is go out there and show it one more time.
1: That's
0: why we're here, because we care. Because the show ain't the money.